Most of us have seen that, uh, that advert, uh, and sometimes it's a sticker on the back of cars and so on, that says, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. Uh, and we could adapt that for following Jesus and say, following Jesus is for life and not just for Christmas. Lord uh, Melbourne, who was Queen Victoria's first Prime Minister, is reported to have said that if religion is going to invade a person's private life, private life, things have come to a pretty pass. He wanted Christian faith to be confined to church on Sunday and neatly packaged away for the rest of the week. Lord Melbourne needed to learn that all of life is God's arena. Uh, and looking at the book of the covenant, these chapters that we're going through in Exodus, uh, uh, as we happen to it becomes clear that the topics it covers are, are extraordinarily diverse. Uh, without going over all the, the, the chapters and verses, uh, it talks about the household, about capital offences in society, injuries to persons and beasts, protection of property, finance and business, sexual malpractice, capital offences in religion, humane concern, living under God's authority in the state, in the church, and in personal character. Integrity and uh, honourable dealing with people. A timetable of work and a timetable of religion. And the idea of this book of the covenant is that it's, it's meant to be illustrative. It's meant to give guidelines without being exhaustive, without covering every minute detail of life. It's meant to give broad guidelines and principles. All of life is God's arena. Uh, the writer Alec, Alex Mateer writes this. He says, and for all of life, God has prescriptions and ideals. On the other side of the picture, the Lord's people have a duty to bring all of life under the scrutiny of his word and to live all of life as his word directs. In other words, there is no part of life that is out of bounds to God. Uh, not one, not one single area of life is out of bounds to him. Having brought us to faith in Jesus Christ, he asks, in fact, he demands entrance into every corner of our lives. And he expects to govern every aspect and corner of our lives through his word, the Bible. But many of us are a bit more like Lord Melbourne. We really don't want God to interfere in our work and our work practices. We maybe don't want them to interfere in our family life. We don't want them maybe to interfere in our sport or our social media activity. Maybe we really don't want God's hand meddling in our financial matters or our sexual matters. We want God to be neatly boxed and packaged and confined and a bit like Aladdin's genie, to stay within the lamp until we need him, and then we rub the lamp, and God's meant to appear and grant us three wishes. That's sort of how we would like to see God, but God insists on being involved in every single area and corner of our lives. Now, of course, God already knows every area and the corner of our lives. That's what the psalmist discovered in Psalm 139. In the message version, it says, God, I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I even utter the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. I Then up ahead and you're there too. Is there any place 
I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? Of course there's not. There's nothing that remains hidden, even within the deepest recesses of our hearts and minds. God already knows all about us, but he demands to be let in. To be Lord of every area of our lives and for us to worship him and obey him in every area of our lives. And in fact, to worship him through obeying him in every area of our lives. And our passage today, as we've just read, looks at laws of justice and that expands on, on the ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, And then it goes on to look at laws of jubilee and Sabbath, expanding on the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And every seventh year is, is a year of jubilee. And then thirdly, it looks at laws of worship and brings us right back to the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So let's, let's look at these. Uh, together. Laws of justice. Uh, One writer, Peter Renz, he he says this, uh, God's people are called upon to do what is right, not what feels right. And that's a message for 21st Western living, if ever there was one, that isn't just about how I feel, what feels right to me, my law, my life. We're to do what is right. Do not oppress a foreigner You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt in verse 9. This is what the Israelites were saved from so that they were not to act the same way. They were then not to become the oppressors. They were to stand out in the ancient world as a people with radically different standards of justice. And their justice was to show courage. Verse 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony on a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And standing out against the crowd's not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do in, in, in the law courts. It's not an easy thing to do in the workplace. It's not an easy thing to do maybe in school or in college. And we know in Northern Ireland, as in many parts of the world, uh, standing up for justice and speaking out the crowd, against the crowd is really not an easy thing to do. So our justice is to be courageous, but it's also to be consistent. Verse 3, do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. But in verse 6, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. And In other words, in matters of justice, don't show favoritism to the wealthy or to the poor, but show justice. Isn't that why legal aid exists? So that even those who can't afford it can show justice, can, can be shown justice. And yet, to be honest, uh, uh, not that I know a great deal about it, but I think it could be argued that maybe our justice system still, you get what you, you're able to pay for. Um, maybe that's a debatable point, and I stand uh, open to being corrected in that. But, you know, justice and wealth cross swords, and justice and wealth also cross swords when it comes to bribery. Verse 8, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Bribery was common then, as it is now, but justice does not come with a price tag, whether you're rich or poor. It wasn't just in the law courts, and it wasn't just in the law courts that God's people 
were to show justice. And verses 4 and 5 talks about, you know, if you come across your, en- your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. And if you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. So whether it's someone that you count as an enemy or someone who counts you as an enemy, God, people are to do what is right, not what feels right. And how we work that out in practice is something for us to think through. Uh, I've been looking out for fallen donkeys this past week, uh, but I haven't yet come across one. Um, and then I have to realize that if, even if it was fallen, it has to be somebody who hates me as donkey so that I would then have to help it up. Um, haven't come across many yet, but we can work this out in principle and in practice. The Book of the Covenant, you see, was to prepare God's people to settle in Canaan. It was to give them guidelines for proper conduct, a framework for living in harmony with God and living in harmony with others and also living in harmony with the land. Uh, they, they were to deal fairly and lovingly with everyone, with their fellow countrymen, with the poor, with the rich, with their enemies, even with those who were aliens and strangers within the land. The Israelites had experienced firsthand man's inhumanity to man as, as slaves in Egypt, and now they are to demonstrate the exact opposite of that behavior, justice seen in God's love for all. So if we... Uh, who, who, who own and, and proclaim uh, uh, and declare the name of the Lord Jesus, if we are to reflect God's glory to all people, then how can we do that unless we treat them with justice? And that might be by, you know, to begin with, that might be making a commitment to buy fair trade products because Jesus, uh, in Jesus we care more about people and people who are made in his image, not about product or, or about price. Uh, I, I think it's been great for those of you who are on the prayer chain. Uh, you'll, you'll have picked up in recent weeks how, how Shannon Donnelly, good to see you back, Shannon. Uh, Shannon gave up a couple of weeks of work to, to go to, to France, to Calais, to, to give out food distribution to refugees who are there. Um, and it's great seeing that kind of, that kind of commitment uh, to those who are displaced, those without homes. And whenever else we think about that whole global phenomenon at the moment, the very basic level of commitment is that we seek to feed people and give them clean water and somewhere to live and a roof over their head and, and, and medical care. Uh, is, that, is that not just basic humanity? So how we work out our justice affects what we actually even do in the shops and what we do with our money, and what we do in everyday life. Laws of justice. And then let's move on secondly then to laws of jubilee and Sabbath. Uh, in the fourth commandment, that the main reason given for observing the Sabbath is to honor God in the pattern that he set up at the creation. Six days work, one day rest. He laid down that as his own example. Uh, and when we look at the version given here, and the version uh, in, in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy as well, it brings in... The, the humanitarian aspect of it as well. Um, for, for instance, in the Deuteronomy passage, it talks about during the seventh year, let the land, or it talks here about letting the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it and the wild animals 
may eat what is left six days, do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. So this commandment talks about following God's pattern of six days labor, one day rest, one day Sabbath, but it's also out of care for others and even care for your animals uh, to, to, to rest and allow others to be refreshed as well. And, and so we see, see God's laws being expanded out here and applied to everyday, everyday life. And we, we've seen historically in certain nations when uh, they tried to change to a 10-day working week and so on, it just wouldn't work. It didn't work and they had to go back to the seven-day week uh, with six days labor and one day, one day rest. It's a pattern, a rhythm of life that God has, has built into us. And the point is, is that love for God and love for neighbor go hand in hand. Worship of God is short-circuited if we have no compassion for others. Likewise, care for others without worship for God is, is simply humanitarianism, and it's not biblical faith. Isn't that really what James is talking about? When, you, when, he, when he, he wrote in James 2, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says uh, to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, can we say we truly love God and worship God if we don't care for our neighbor. And if you ask, well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus told a very good parable about that. You should look it up in the, in the scriptures. Uh, and when Phil and Anne approached me about doing, doing a plug for fair trade, it was a no-brainer, really, to do it today during this service uh, when we're thinking about justice and worship because the two go hand in hand. Love for God and love for neighbor. We can go to great praise services. We can sing our heart out. And, and as well, even as we're singing one of the songs here today, keep me from just singing. There's nothing wrong with singing praise and coming to worship. But if it doesn't issue out an action to care for others, then is it true worship? Are we really worshiping God in every area and with every area of our lives. Surely just singing songs but not putting faith into practice, into action, it reeks of a certain degree of being hollow and, and lacking reality. So laws of jubilee and Sabbath. And then thirdly, laws of worship. Uh, Peter Enns again writes, For ancient Israelites, all of life, is rooted in worship. The quality of one's worship is shown at least in part in one's conduct towards others. See, for the ancient Israelites, you see, there was no distinction between the sacred and the secular. There's no distinction between what they did from Monday to Monday to Friday, as, as Sabbath, their Sabbath was a Saturday. Uh, but there was no distinction between that. They did one end of the week to the other and then the day of worship. You know, so whether this week you write a report or make a phone call or serve a customer or mend a wire or whatever you do, all of those things become acts of worship as they're handed over to God to glorify him, to seek to praise him in what you're actually doing. The, the attitude of Lord Melbourne 
would have mystified the ancient Israelites. And to be honest, it should mystify Christians today. You know that God should be boxed up, packaged up, and kept for a Sunday, but has no bearing on Monday to Friday or Saturday. That, that should be completely mystifying for Christians today because God has to be active in every area of our lives. The God to whom, uh, they, they, the God to whom they, they were to bring the best of their crops in worship was the same God who had provided them with the land to grow those crops, who had provided them with the rain and the sun to ripen them and the strength to plant and harvest them. God is involved in all the cycles of life. And the worship of God is also included in all the rhythms of life. And this is this perhaps we're seeing most, uh, most clearly in an agricultural society, dependent on, on wind and rain and so on and, and, and sun. But it's no less the case in every walk of life. Uh, and that's, that's why these festivals that are given are meant to be a celebration of God's involvement in, uh, in area, every area of life. You Three times a year you're to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For uh, in that month you were brought out of Egypt. No one's to appear before me empty-handed. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to be seen in the context of Passover. The, the, the idea of yeast, eating bread without yeast, is symbolic of, of how the, the Israelites left in haste. They hadn't time to wait for, for yeast to do its, its, its job in the dough. They had to eat without yeast, and it's symbolic of leaving in haste. And then the, the celebra to celebrate the harvest, the festival of harvest, uh, with the first crops uh, you sow in your feast. It's also called the Feast of Weeks held seven days after the first festival, uh, and with the first fruits of the produce, they're meant to come and worship God. Uh, and then the, the festival of in-gathering, or the Feast of Booze, uh, that was then when the, the harvest had been gathered, and again they were to come with the, the produce to celebrate, the best of their produce to celebrate before the Lord. So quite obviously these three, these three are, are tied to the land. Uh, and the land's ability to produce was seen as a gift, and therefore the land was not to be abused. The, pe the festivals were also a reminder to the people that everything we have comes from God and should promote thanksgiving. Every element of life, as one writer says, every element of life, whether social or agricultural, is to be lived out in God's presence. He is the source and goal of everything they do. He is the source and goal of everything they do. So think about how that unpacks for us. Whatever you do this week, wherever you go, everything you do, every area of life, whether it's, it's work or, or relaxation, whether it's home or, or family or whatever, is everything you do, its source and goal is God. And we can honor and glorify him in every area of our lives and in everything we do and we are to glorify and honor him through obeying him in every area and corner of our lives and then we come lastly in this passage to, to certain additional instructions do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast another reference to Passover avoiding yeast uh, the fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning another symbol of haste there uh, and a refer refer reference to the offering of animals, not just crops. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God, not the mediocre 
not just what's left over, but the best. So let me ask us, do we bring our best when we come to worship God? Do we bring our best when we come to worship God? Do we, first of all, plan and set aside the first part of our pay or salary that is proportionate to give to God? Or is it just whatever we happen to have in our pocket or our wallet or whatever happens to be left over? Do we think about our giving so that it is proportionate to what we earn, so that it is the very first part that we set aside before mortgage or car payments or food or clothing or anything else? The first bit is God's and then we budget and all the rest. Do we give God our best in our giving? Do we prepare ourselves in heart and mind to offer our God in praise? Or do we just rock out of bed and roll in, you know, getting the hair fixed and wiping the sleep out of our eyes? Do we prepare ourselves to praise and to prayer, to focus on his word? Or do we just come any old high half-baked to worship God? Do we do our work at school or in employment in a, in a lazy way, in a slovenly way, in a do as little as you can for as much as you can attitude? Or do we give it our best? Do we go to our work and do our work as an offering to God of worship? Do we give our best to God and how we worship him through our jobs? All of life is to be lived out as an act of worship to God. And God not only calls us to worship but he tells us how to worship. We are to bring to him our best. And then the final instruction is, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And the, the meaning of this is obvious, of course. Or not, as the case may be. We don't really know what this means. Sometimes it's nice as a minister to be able to say, actually, there are brains far better than mine who don't know the answer to this. The best guess is that it relates somehow to some of the fertility cults of Canaan, and the Israelites were have nothing to do with those. I think that's the best guess, but uh, there's different opinions on it, and we, we don't know for certain. But this book of the covenant is comprehensive. It was a reminder to the Israelites of God's involvement in every area and every dimension of their lives. And it's, it's the same for us. God created us. He saved us in Christ for a relationship with himself. And, that, and part of that includes relationship with his people and with his world. You know, and having brought us to faith in Christ, he, he asks us, in fact, demands entrance into every corner of our lives and he expects to govern every aspect and corner of our lives through his word the law reminds us of that so paul writing so much later than moses got it absolutely right when he was writing to the corinthians and the colossians to the corinthians in first corinthians ten thirty one, he said so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of God. So there you go. When you're having your dinner today, you can have your dinner to the glory of God with thanksgiving. And then to the Colossians, in Colossians 3, 24 and 20, 23 and 24, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. So whenever you go to work or school or college or wherever you go this week, whatever you're doing, whether you're cleaning out a cupboard or cutting the grass or cleaning the toilet or whatever you're doing at home, you can do everything to the glory of God. And how transforming that. I hate dusting. I don't mind doing a bit of hoover now and again, but I don't do it very often. But I hate dusting. And so see to dust to the glory of God. It takes an effort of the will. For me, I have to be honest, it takes an effort. I have to think about that. You know, think, right, Lord, I have to dust this room to the glory of God. How do I get my head around that? <laughs> but we, we do. We can do everything we offer to the Lord. We offer to him as an act of worship. Even if it's dusting room or whatever we do. And how transforming it makes it when we bring God into it. Let's do that this week. Shall we pray?